Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Love, Life and Disability with me, Kay Ashton. Today, I'm joined by Robert. Now, I came, Robert, came across Robert when I was on the Pure Gym website as one of the personal trainers, and he was giving a lot of information on there about um, disability and accessibility and how you can get involved in fitness. So a little bit about Robert. At 10, 10 months old, Rob was involved in a car crash incident that left him paralysed from the armpits down. Now, as a personal trainer, Rob is calling on all dreams to be more inclusive, especially for people with disabilities. At the age of 16, um, Rob started in the gyms, and as many of us know, things like accessibility and inclusivity really need to be thought about from the off, because in doing this, it also saves money further down the line, and it just means it can be for absolutely everybody. And sometimes that's not the case. So non-disabled people are always implementing things, as we know, in gyms and in life, without consulting us first. Nothing about us without us. As we know, accessibility is, is often thought about last. How, how important is it to build an inclusive environment from the off? So today, I thought it'd be fantastic to talk to Rob about this. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Kay. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think you touched upon a lot of good points there, uh, for sure. Um, the, the world is 100% not designed for people with disabilities, especially physical ones, that's for sure. So it's really important for every industry, not just the fitness, the fitness one, to at least consultants when they're designing their, their buildings and their businesses and stuff. Um, and the gym is no exception to that. And I do find that is one of the biggest problems as quite a lot of people do say in the disabled community, you know, it's nothing about us without us. Sometimes we're always thought about last. It's, oh, we need to speak to the disabled people and find things out. Or yeah, yeah. they only do that when there's a problem. Yeah, exactly that. There's no foresight. There's no planning ahead. They don't sit there and think, would it be worthwhile putting a focus group together of disabled people of all different disabilities to see, you know, if you're building a hotel, for example, how would we design the bathroom in here for the accessible room, you know? Uh, I mean, as a full-time wheelchair user who can't stand, it's amazing how many hotels I've been in that have, um, like, fold-down seats attached to the wall, but the shower is on the opposite wall. So the only way that you can actually grab the shower head is if you stood up to grab the shower head. So it just goes to show that lack of foresight just really isn't there. Uh, and by the time they actually go and consult people with disabilities to ask how we can change things, it's normally too late by then and they don't want to spend the money to fix things. Yeah. And uh, as we know, if they do it from the off, this whole budgeting thing, people to see disabilities and expense, well, it's not if you think about it from the off. And every disability is different so what my accessibility arrangements may be could be completely different to yours as well and this is why it's so important gyms hotels absolutely everywhere do consult a range of people so we can get a real understanding and a breadth of understanding from different people and there's so many different focus groups out there already people just need to consult us and you know we're there to help not like hinder things we're, we're trying to help them for later 100%. And I think businesses, the problem that they have is when they think of, you know, how can we make this more accessible for disabled users, they instantly think it's either got to be the very basic adjustments to whatever it is they're adapting that's necessary. I, do we have a lift or can they access the building? To them, that's accessibility. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not even a disabled toilet involved. Um, whereas if they're thinking about, okay, we need to go to the other end of the spectrum where everything needs to be really inclusive, then they straight away go to go to like the, the changing places kind of changing rooms that we, we have in certain places. 
obviously they're top notch. They can almost pretty much cater to any type of disability. Um, but they look at the cost of what those kind of rooms would be and they think, oh, we're absolutely not spending that much money uh, to, to cater for disability because it's not worth the investment to them from a financial point of view is that's the way that they see it. But then there's no middle ground. You, I, from experience, I've generally found it's the bare minimum or above and beyond. There's, there doesn't seem to be a, a decent middle ground. And I think that's what needs to be found. Um, mm -hmm. First and foremost, I mean, you know, ideally we would have a change in places in every single venue, um, but, you know, I don't see the world through rose tinted glasses and you, know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that with disability nine times out of ten. So, um, so yeah, a middle ground definitely needs to be found. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And it's just even thinking about things like Braille, for example, is yeah. I've got quite a few friends that um, would read by Braille and they've gone into the wrong toilets because there's no Braille on the doors for them to know which is which. And even yeah. just these little subtle things could help people out. And it's also given people that breadth of independence independence as well. And touching upon some of the toilets is when I have been in um, some gyms recently, I thought it was really interesting. So we, we get given a fob. And if you're disabled, that means you can then use an accessibility door and you could use the lift within the building. So if you don't have a fob, you can't use it, which is great. But then you've also then got a fob to operate toilets. So if you identify as female, your fob will only let you into the female toilets, which is fantastic. And likewise with the male, into the male. But the accessibility one has no fob. So it's a free-for-all. So, for instance, the other week when I was there, try, trying to go to the toilet, can't go in. And then a bunch of lads just walk out and it's like, okay. Obviously, they could have hidden disabilities. You, you don't know. But people just will just use it as as convenient sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's a, it's a similar thing over at our place where the accessible toilet is 100% a free for all, and we only have one accessible toilet. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times, you know, I mean, multiple clients, myself included, as well. You know, we don't have the best, best bladder control on on a on a good day, let alone on a bad day. <laughs> The last thing that you want is, you know, some big, hairy, meathead gym user that's just down his protein shake and has used a disabled toilet for a bit of privacy because he doesn't realize the damage that it's causing someone who actually needs to use the toilet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most gyms, if they did something as simple as incorporate a radar key system on the accessible toilet, it would solve so many problems. Yeah. So many problems. Um, even in this case, it's even the FOP situation. If you've got it on the male and the female, why not the disabled? On, on the disabled, exactly that. Exactly that. It's a really, really easy fix. Um, and it's so frustrating. It's another battle that you have to fight when you mm -hmm. shouldn't have to fight it. We, that's all it feels like with disability. That's what it feels like every single day. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here. But <laughs> it's battle after battle after battle for things that we really shouldn't have to be fighting for. And with a little bit of foresight, a little bit of consultation with those that are going to be using facilities, it will fix so many problems. Yeah. And one thing I've, I've obviously always always said, and I'm sure um, yourself would agree with this, if we're to build things accessible from the off, that helps everybody. So if I work in media, so let's say you're a makeup artist and you've got, you're lugging around a case of makeup all day or the camera operator, I think you'd much prefer a lift than going up seven flights of stairs with all your equipment. So if we're to think about how it can impact everybody else, that's when you can make the biggest change. So like Microsoft, for example, I love what Microsoft explained disability and that they do something which is like inclusive by design. And they were saying at some point in your life, you will be disabled, even if it's only for a short period of time. 
and people are like, no, I've never been disabled. And then the question was like, well, do you have children? Yeah, 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 I have children. Okay. Have you ever been to um, a concert? Yeah, I have been to a concert. So then they kind of explain it in these situations, basically saying, so let's use the concert as an example. They'll say, okay, some people might live with um, deafness or hearing loss as a permanent situation. You could have um, temporary hearing loss by having glue ear or maybe an ear infection. But then you could have a situational hearing loss when you're in a, in a very loud venue and you can't hear something. And you're like, what did you say? No, I wanted a Coke. What, you wanted Sprite? It's, you've then got that. And then the same with um, maybe with like an upper limb difference. So your permanent disability could be an upper limb difference. But you carrying the shopping is a situational one. You're trying to open a door. You've only got use of one hand or you're carrying a child. You're, you're experiencing some sort of a disability and the temporary would, of course, be breakage to the arm. And when you try and make something somebody else's, I don't want to say problem, but giving them the understanding, that's when they then realise, actually, no, this could help everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think when you emailed me and you you used the hearing loss one as an example, I loved that. That analogy was was so, so good. Um, because I think it eloquently puts into words what people are trying to explain. And even myself, I've probably tried to explain that in some way, shape or form and not do mm-hmm. it that eloquently. Um, so I love those analogies for sure. But it's, it's bang on right, you know, uh, at any given point, people's lives can change like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, as you say, there are instances where you're going to be temporarily walking in other people's shoes. So if you can have that little bit of foresight and make sure the infrastructure is accessible as accessible as possible um, from the outset, then you're catering to everyone, you know? Um, But I think we've got these old archaic ideas and the way that infrastructure is still done and the way that, you know, buildings are still made or, or the way that, you know, things are adapted. Um, And it's just not, it's not moved on. It's not moved on for the last 20, 30 years, if not longer. Um, Don't get me wrong. You know, I think uh, the comedian Rosie, the, the lady with cerebral palsy, I forget her surname, yeah. but who I'm on about. Uh, she she was recently on uh, a podcast as well where she was talking about um, how, you know, even though there is a long way to go with accessibility, there is there has been improvements. And then some of the examples she gave in there um, where, you know, some schools were, they were just outright wouldn't put lifts in schools because yeah. they legally didn't really have to. So you look at how legislation has changed over the last 25, 30 years, yes, there have been improvements, but we're still a million miles away from making things inclusive. I, um, I actually had a, a job, so I temporarily worked for, for two years on temporary contract with my local council. Um, and just before I started working there, we had a disability officer for the council, okay. bearing in mind that, you know, I, I don't live in a small city, I live in a, a pretty medium-sized city. Um, and when we questioned why they got rid of the disability officer. And when I say got rid of the disability officer, I mean, they cut the role entirely. Uh, Their reasoning and rationing for it is because everything should already be accessible. Therefore, we don't need a disability officer to overlook these things. And honestly, it's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life because yes, you're right. Everything should already be accessible, but it really isn't. And, you know, you go into the leisure centers in in my, my, my local council um, you kind of go there and the staff members have no idea in terms of it. the moment they see disability, um, their usual port of call would be, OK, we'll, we'll pass this person on to the, the disability officer. As soon as you took that away, everyone was flailing. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, and it just goes to show that, you know, there is still a need for these things to actually be overlooked mm-hmm. um, and someone take the lead and properly manage, manage these kind of things. I 100% agree. And Jack Fawn last year during one of his um, Magnetata lectures, he spoke about it within TV and film industry and talking about the accessibility coordinators. And he wants all high-end TV productions to be having accessible coordinators because he was seeing so many times people forget about the toilets. Yeah, you might hire standard portalies, but what about the ones which need to be accessible? And like for production companies to be like putting lines in the budgets and so forth. And it is everybody's job to be accessible. But and again, as you were saying, a lot of time people then will just pass the book if the, if there's that disability specialist there. Sure, everyone will, will just go to that yeah. where they then don't get the education and learnings and the understandings either. So it can be quite tricky. But if you don't have someone disabled doing the job, again, it's nothing about us without us. And you, you need that there for that for that for that support. Hundred percent. And I think when you have the uh, so again back to the example that I gave with the disability officer, um, part of the reason why I, I was drafted in was to help train up the staff in the leisure centres to try, try and make them more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the two years there, we managed to get the disability participation across the leisure centres. Um, so we were currently at two percent, and the target was to get to five percent. Okay. Uh, by the end of the year contract, we were up to 12%. So we absolutely smashed those targets, which are fantastic. Um, less than six months of my role ending, uh, all of that training, all of that work that we put in, because there was no one looking after it, because you have such a, a high turnover in staff and no one actually taking it by the reins and saying, okay, we're going to make sure that this work continues. What was the point? Mm-hmm. It, it, it all just falls apart. It unravels so much quicker than it takes to actually fix the problems that were in place which is why you always need that guiding hand totally agree and it's just, it's good that they had it to start with but i just don't think sometimes people realize the value and i know you've touched upon there about the leisure centers and so forth and obviously you're involved in fitness i'm trying to get into fitness is how have you found it um in general um with fitness like what do you believe the biggest barriers have been for you so far um, well, to be fair, I actually ended up in this role completely accidentally. Um, so while I was at university um, in my final year, a, a letter, uh, sorry, an email dropped into my inbox saying um, that there was a scheme going on that was trying to get more people with disabilities involved in the fitness industry. And they were doing courses to get you your level three fitness and disability, uh, and then also your level two fitness instructor qualifications. So okay. at the time, I was like, I can't really do this just yet. I was like, but in the summer, I could probably do it. So if you're still doing it then, um, please contact me as I would love to do it. So that was really fortunate, to be fair. I ended up going on that scheme. It was a three-month uh, program, uh, three days a week where I went in and we learned. Um, and then at the end of that three months, you then, sorry, a six-week program, not a three-month program, six-week program. And then at the end of the six weeks, you then got a, th- uh, a three-month placement that you have to do. Um, ideally, they wanted you to go into leisure um, centers as a fitness instructor. But okay. my argument was I didn't want to be a fitness instructor. I wanted to be a personal trainer. Um, subtle differences being that the fitness instructor are those that, you know, teach the classes and, you know, they kind of run the gym and that kind of stuff. They're not actually able to do the one-to-one PT sessions. Okay. Whereas for me, I wanted to be able to build my business, do the PT sessions and do all the stuff that a fitness instructor could do plus more. Um, so after a little bit of back and forth uh, and getting the the I's dotted and the T's crossed, um, we were actually able to go into my local pure gym um, and then spoke to the manager there. 
and after hounding him a few times to try and get the go-ahead from his his superiors, um, I started my three-month work placement there, um, and I've been there ever since. It's been six years that I've been over at Pure Gym. So barriers-wise, in terms of the industry, um, so at the time that I signed for Pure Gym, I believe I was the first disabled PT in the company. Um, at wow. the time, they had over 150 gyms in the country. So it's a that in itself, I think, speaks volumes in terms yeah. of... Um, Getting into the industry is clearly quite difficult. Uh, I know that's that's part of the reason why my, my, my manager struggled because he wasn't sure, you know, health and safety wise or insurance wise or all these extra things that you have to consider having a disabled member of staff on the books as such, even though I'm technically not a member of staff, I'm self-employed. Um, there was all these kind of things, the hoops and things that you have to kind of cross, uh, like jump through in order to get there. Um, but once that was initially done, um, I was fortunate that I had a really good manager that helped, good. you know, support me when it came to, um, like, you know, building a business or, you know, trying to, to get lead gen. Um, and back then as well, Pure Gym, they, I mean, they still do it now as well, but they ran like business seminars as well. Oh, okay. Um, so they actually had two people that offered to, um, you know, give PTs a helping hand and, and and give them tips on how to manage their time and build a business and, you know, lead generation and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then for me, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me was, uh, I mean, I did law at university and mm-hmm. the reason for doing that was because I just wanted to help people. Uh, and then when you're studying law, you realize that you're not actually helping people. You're playing a game. Um, <laughs> that didn't really sit, sit too right with me. Um, and then I kind of panicked because my entire life had been surrounded by, okay, I'm going to become a successful solicitor. Um, and then after doing numerous work placements, uh, I realized by the end of my second year that I wasn't going to be able to practice this full time. Um, partly because I didn't think an area of law jumped out at me that I thought that I wanted to study and yeah. practice every single day. Um, also because of being the competitive kind of guy that I am, I knew that I'd have it would consume me. The job would 100% consume me. And I think mm-hmm. it would interfere with my goals of ultimately wanting to have a family and that kind of stuff, um, which is why I kind of, by the end of my second year, I had this mini breakdown where I was like, well, what do I do instead? Um, and all I ever knew other than that was physical activity, whether that was sport or gym work or whatever. And then obviously disability, because I've got yeah. by that point, you know, 20 years of lived in experience. So um so that's how I kind of ended up in this and like I said in terms of getting into the fitness industry I think it was more about the so at the time at the time when I applied and I want actually got into pure gym um my boss referred to me as a pit bull he said you you just kept on hounding me and hounding me and you you did not let me go he said every time you came into the gym to train he goes every time you saw me he was like you were on me straight away saying like okay what is your boss is saying? Can I come in? Can I come and join? And all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so I think in that case, it was like, you, you, I, had, I had to be relentless, I think, in order to be able to get my foot into the door. And mm-hmm. like I said, once I got into the door with Pure Gym, it was helpful that there were business programs and there were staff members that were there to be able to help you. Uh, I mean, from, for one, for example, like when I started um, at Pure Gym, I started on shift because um, that's how they tend to work. You you work X amount of hours on shift without payment, um, and then anything you make from your PT sessions is what is yours. Um, and then eventually, once you've got a, a good client base, you then move on to rent, where you pay the gym rent to be there, mm-hmm. and then you it's all you basically, which is what I do now, where I pay rent to use the space. 
um, but I'm not teaching classes or running the gym or doing any of that. Um, and the initial plunge when it came to taking, going on to rent, I didn't have the biggest client base. But what I found was it gave me the ability to actually invest that time that I would have had on shift to yeah. lead gen. Because I think with me working with disability and injury rehab, uh, most of my clients I'm not going to find on the gym floor because no. people with disabilities, they still have that stigma that, you know, we need to bring them into gym. the space. Exactly. So the moment that I went from shift onto rent and I actually was able to do outreach outside of the gym, um, my business skyrocketed. And that's, that, that was, it took a couple of years for that penny to drop, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think I only actually went on to rent out of necessity rather than, um, a choice I think at mm -hmm. the time, um, but, you know, looking back, it was the best thing that I ever did. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so mind over matter fitness was born. And here we are. Yeah, today. mind over matter fitness was born. Yeah, it's crazy to think that I set that up in 2017, I think it was. But it's been trading officially since 2019, 2020, I think. 2019. Oh, wow. In 2019. So. And as a disabled person myself trying to get into the fitness, um, I think it's great that obviously that you live with a disability as well and that you're able to coach people and deliver the sessions in which you are because even though it's not the same disabilities it's that lived experience which I feel can help people because you'll be more able to look at things from an adaption perspective so if I take classes that I've been to recently summer classes I'll have to do in my wheelchair because of the nature of the course and they will run forward and then run back. So then you might say, though, oh, well, your wheels are your legs, so then you'd go forward. Yeah. But then some people are like, oh, well, just kick your arms out to the left and the right. And I'm kind of like, well, it's more like of an upper body workout than as opposed to my legs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, if you're to, if that conversation may have happened with yourself, you might have been able to think of something adapted. Well, yes, you can move your legs, but you just do it sat down. So you might just kick your legs in and out instead but remain seated with your brakes on another yeah. person might say no wheel forward wheel back yeah it's it's being able to look at it from a different adaption perspective which I feel people like yourself can offer and this is where it's important that if people do live with disabilities that we do seek out trainers such as yourself which have those lived experiences of working in in, in that field because it can be very hard to come by and especially when a gym might not be an environment that people are used to it's when I've come in the wheelchair, people just look at me. It's like you're famous. It's just like, yeah. you just see all the eyes just follow you through. It's like you've just seen your favourite celebrity walk past. But yeah. you know that they're thinking, well, what are they going to do in a wheelchair? <laughs> it's just, you, you know what damn well what they're thinking as, as, you're, as you're going through. So I guess it's about that, the whole stigma side of things and what can we do about this in order to like educate people that we, we can do things and that it's looking at our ability. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, in terms of in terms of having that lived in experience, um, I mean, like I said, when I was at university and then realized I wasn't gonna be doing law, I literally sat there in my apartment thinking, Well, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life and how am I gonna be able to help people? Um, and the fact that I realized that, you know, I, I'm really great with fitness, I have that lived in disability experience, I can go and help other people like myself, where mm -hmm. you know, when I first joined the gym when I was sixteen years old, um, instructors had no idea <laughs> yeah. genuinely no idea and um it, it's not their fault I think it, it is purely just a lack of education you know yeah. uh I mean I know that when you do the the ordinary personal training course um or level three obviously it depends on which governing body you're doing it with and whatnot 
Um, but generally speaking, there's like a tiny section about two pages long that touches on disability, um, which in itself is, you know, I could write two pages of disabilities, <laughs> let alone <laughs> two pages on how to train people with disabilities. Um, but it is just having that creativity to be able to, uh, you know, adapt exercises to to the individual. Uh, the last thing you want to be doing is painting every single disability with the same brush. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, like you know, if if a trainer gets someone with a wheel, well, with a disability coming into into their gym and they're asking to train with them, ask them what they can and can't do. Ask mm-hmm. them what they can use and work with them together to build the plan. You know, and it's about having that that openness and that connection with the personal trainer you're working with um, to be able to to build a program that works for you and then figuring out exercises that work for you, um, and then. And, and on your stigma point in terms of when they see people with wheelchairs or disabilities going into the gym, um, you're right. It goes one or two ways. Like what are, the, what are they doing in the gym? What are they going to be able to do? Or it goes to the very nice, but slightly patronizing. Oh, you're so inspirational. It's yeah. great to see you out and about in the gym. And it's like, you know, inspiration fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, hundred yeah, percent. But then at the same time, it's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do because if I'm working with, um, for example, one of my clients is an ultimate frisbee, ultimate frisbee player, ultimate frisbee player um, and she's going nice. to world later on this year. So, like, we're talking top level, like ultimate frisbee player. Um, so, when you see someone in a wheelchair who you know can't jump and catch a frisbee for his life, training this person on improving their speed, their agility, their quickness, um, their power, you know, all these things, it changes all those all those stigmas. And it's amazing how many people approach me in the gym to ask to train with me you know via email they might get my, my phone number whatever um and then when it comes to the first session you can kind of see that look on their face because they didn't realize i was disabled they didn't realize i was a wheelchair user and that first couple of minutes when they you can see them processing as though like oh i had no idea this person was in the wheelchair um mm-hmm. but it's really cool it's really cool and like straight away i like to address that that elephant in the room make a bit of a joke about it yeah. put everybody at ease do you know what i mean because at the end of the day i can't hide my disability i wouldn't want to hide my disability yeah it is, it's part it of is, our identity it is. isn't it exactly that um and it's not a touchy subject i think this is the other thing as well too many people find their disability a touchy subject mm-hmm. um, i say too many it's probably 50 50 i think you either embrace it or it's something that you're not too proud of you know? yeah um and disabled and I, I is not a dirty word and some people just exactly. don't like saying it they'll try and avoid it and as you yeah. said it's like the elephant in the room it's like you're trying to address it talk about it's, it it's get it over and done with group. it's the one taboo in society that still hasn't been addressed it's 2022 and it's still taboo to say disability. And you sit there and you think, why? Like, why? Why? Like, people, to the point where people don't even want to research, refer to themselves as disabled, even though they have a glaring disability. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, I've always been pretty headstrong. I've always been, you know, I, I don't really care what people think. It's the way that I've always kind of been. Yeah. Um, but I know that for some people, you know, other people's opinions mean a lot to them. And I understand why you know why that you you wouldn't want to be perceived in a negative manner by those people um but then at the same time it's like well why would you want to associate with those kind of people that are going to consider you in a negative manner you know Um, i've once read a great um quote and it basically said um about you say what you um say what you feel because those that mind don't matter and those and those that mind don't matter basically so it's basically yeah, yeah. you can just say what you want because if they give a crap and you don't like them it doesn't matter yeah, yeah and i think it's a good one but as you say like with the embracing of the disability and obviously it becomes 
part of who you are and whether or not it's in the gym environments. I know like when I've gone dating, it's like on Bumble and Hinge, everything's on there. So if they actually looked at the profile and read, they'd actually see I've got a disability. But then when you turn up and you're on a crutch, I'd say 70% of the time, guys have always gone, what have you done to your leg? Like it's like like I've hurt it in football. Yeah. Some people have completely ignored it, never asked a single question. And I've asked people like, what are their thoughts on that? And some people say, well, it's down to the disabled people to own their own story and tell them when they feel comfortable about their disability. So they would agree with those that don't ask. But the ones that do, people say, because it's how it's being asked, it can be quite rude. And it's trying to, I guess, navigate that. I don't know how you have found any of that with dating yeah, and relationships. I, I think it is more of a minefield, not just when it comes to disability, but generally speaking about any subject, you know, whether it's LGBTQ or, yeah. or race or anything. Like the, the, the pronouns that people are using and, and the right way to address other people is changing on a daily basis. So it's, it's a minefield in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one thing is, for, the one thing that's, that's for sure is as a kid, or what I say to people is kind of approach people like you would as a kid, because kids have this innocence, and this art of just asking questions because they're curious and they're learning. And that is much, much kinder than standing across the room and staring. But mm-hmm. then somewhere we're conditioned as a child, as we start to go through puberty and get a bit older, we're conditioned not to ask questions. So yeah. instead we make assumptions that are often wrong um, or we just don't end up discussing the subject whatsoever. You know, I mean, I think for me, um, I've always joked around and said that, you know, when it comes to dating in particular, that uh, I'm never going to be someone's ideal cup of tea purely from looks because I doubt that anybody's Tinder profile has got disabled wheelchair user tick box on there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so for me, you know, things like the the dating apps or that kind of stuff, I've never actually used um, purely because you're not going to go for me based purely on my looks. It's my personality that you're going to end up yeah. going for me from. That's my biggest selling point, you know? Um, and I think... And it's like I said, it's something that I can't hide. You know, I can't just tuck the wheelchair in my back pocket and be like, you know, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't here. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things when it comes to dating where it, it, it all depends on the individual. You know, you get some people that, you know, they'll just address it straight away and then they'll, they'll be quite open and honest with it. And then you'll get some people that are just massively ignorant to the entire situation. For example, there was this one girl that once asked if I could sneeze. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because I got spinal cord injury, her like her first thought was, "Can you still sneeze?" Which uh, which is hilarious. And this was the same girl <laughs> that we convinced that uh, you know on the plastic cups, the lids that you get for plastic cups, yeah. we've got the diet bit when you press that down to let them know it's diet coke. She had a regular coke, and then we were like, "Oh, if you press this, it turns diet." And then <laughs> she took it. She's like, "Oh my god, yeah, I can taste it." And you just kind of sit there with your head in your hands, and you think, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, that's for sure. So, uh, and how did you meet your panel? And if you didn't, um, obviously go on apps and so forth. Um, so as I say, I am a disability and rehab specialist when it comes to PTing. Uh, I guess I'm not the most professional personal trainer as Emily was my first client in the gym. Um, So she came to me uh, because she was going to have a operation on her knee. Okay. She wanted to to work on strengthening her leg before the operation um, and then also do some upper body work so that when she was on crutches for the rehab to, um, you know, 
make her life on crutches better. Uh, and then she had the operation about three months later and then we kept in touch and then I helped her with the rehab post-op and then one thing led to another and uh, six years on, here we are. Oh, that's amazing. And that's what some people like say is that it can happen through work. I don't see it as like unprofessional because that'd be no different from me meeting somebody in my yeah. current day job. And obviously now with like with COVID and so forth, working from home pretty much permanently, it's... Yeah you don't see people so like the only places now I can really see people would be if I ever went into the office or going to the gym it's it's a tricky environment but then it's navigating that because obviously if you're meeting by work people get to know you and you and your personality your disability kind of becomes secondary at that point it's they get to know you where obviously on the apps and so forth it's it's looks straight away and I do believe I think I'd love an app which is well, I don't want to judge guys, but a lot of guys will just tick right anyway all the time because they want yeah. to double the chances. Yeah. But if it's just done on based on text and then the more you talk, the images then are revealed, I think that would be a better way because then you're getting to know the person and you're matching based on interest. So it just might be pictures or images of the things that the people are interested in. You match based on that, you have a chat, you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, maybe so. I mean, as I said, I mean, I think when it comes to I mean, when it comes to dating and, and that kind of stuff, I've always been pretty good at it, I guess, which is why I've never really needed the apps or anything yeah. like that. And I guess, you know, six years ago when I got with them, there wasn't, the apps weren't as prominent as they are now, I think. Um, but I, I had this moment like when, when I was at university, uh, before I went to university, I actually came out of a, a previous long-term relationship and it didn't end too good. Um, and I made the conscious decision while I was at university that I wasn't going to tie myself down to any relationship while I was there. Um, unless something really really special came along and then in hindsight I kind of look back at that and I think that was a bit close-minded of me there were mm-hmm. potential things there that you know I, I I kept the wall up the entire time there um, and didn't let people in as I probably should have um, and then once I got my professional life all sorted and started working at the gym I'd had that moment where I sat there and I thought well you know it's time to really sort your personal life out at this point yeah um and I had that dawning moment where it's like realistically I'm only really going to meet people at my place of education which is that <laughs> path because you know I'm not I'm not going to education anymore I've done with that um yeah. or my place of work which was the gym um mm-hmm. or I was going to meet someone in my hobbies which is the gym <laughs> <laughs> or in some sort of sporting arena yeah. so I pretty much kind of had that that crystallizing moment where it's like okay so I'm going to meet my partner in the gym which let's face it there's worse workplaces you could meet um, <laughs> steps, right yeah um and yeah so I kind of it was one of those things where I, I've always been a firm believer that you've got to be active on mm-hmm. in, in making things happen for yourself whether it's in your love life or whether it's personal life or professional life at the end of the day if something's going to change it's on you you've got to do it 100%. Um, and like I said the moment that I changed that mindset to make my personal life a bit better and be a bit more vulnerable with someone um it happened and like don't yeah. get me wrong it, it, it's really cliche to sound that it happens when you're least looking for it and that's like, what I they always say it, honestly honestly but with with, yeah. it, with this case when I met um I literally just started in the job um on my first day she was the first person in the gym that I spoke to um and then six months later we were together um oh. which you know it, it's you sit there and you think well you know if you told me that would have happened when I first started working in the gym I would have laughed <laughs> at you because it, you know Robert Uni was a different Rob to what he is now so uh <laughs> so yeah it's one of those things where you, you you've got to be proactive and you've got to be open-minded to it mm-hmm. um, 
it's really funny actually on our first date with them uh i went to so i wasn't i wasn't seeing a girl beforehand but i was hooking up with a girl beforehand <laughs> that lived down in daventry um before i went over to america um and then i went over to america on holiday with a couple of the lads and at the time i was chatting to em um and then we came back on the friday morning well sat- at the saturday morning by the time we got back into nottingham yeah. it was like 3 a.m um and then i went to sleep and i was supposed to go to daventry and hit the road at 10 a.m so i woke up about 9 a.m really really jet lagged and i messaged this other girl and i was like look i'm really sorry but i'm not i'm not going to come down today i'm really jet lagged can i come and see you another time she was obviously not too pleased um and then i was kind of sat here and i was still talking to em um and then i was like what are you up to tonight and then she was like oh nothing why and I was like well if you're not doing anything I'm not doing anything do you want to go out grab something to eat so we grabbed something to eat went on our first date and then afterwards we went back to her house and then I'd made a conscious decision when I was in America to say yes to more things and be more things, which is part of the reason why I'd messaged them and said do you want to go out for something to eat tonight just put myself Mm -hmm. out there and thought worst thing she says is no exactly get lagged do you know what I mean um but then afterwards we after we finished uh the meal and went back to her place like her family's house was kind of on a hill and it's not the most accessible to get into. So there was kind of like one step to get up and then there was another step to get into the house and then a lip on the door like the doors normally have. Mm-hmm. So it definitely wasn't easy to get into. And then she was like, oh, do you want to come inside and have a drink? Uh, Rob, before America, 100% would have said no, absolutely not. That is not worth the hassle of trying to get my chair into that. And I don't really want to degrade myself, whether it's jumping out of the chair to then lift the chair inside the house and then climbing in. Or, you know, it's a male pride thing and an ego thing where you don't really want, you know, this seven and a half, eight stone girl lifting you up into into the house. Do you know what I mean? But I was like, screw it. I've made the uh, decision to say yes. So let's say yes. So we went inside. So uh, um, we got the first step. We managed to get the chair onto it. No problem. It was luckily deep enough to have my chair onto it. Um, and then the second step kind of popped the wheelie, got the front casters into the, the door, uh, M's behind me, and then she's getting ready to kind of lift me up. And then as she do that, as she does that, you've got the hallway directly in front of me, and then you've got the kitchen at the end. Uh, and then I just see this head pop around, and then it's her mom, and then I see another head pop around the door, and it was a dad. So both her parents were awake at this time on the first day. And at this uh-huh. point, I was like, this is why you say no. This is why you say no. <laughs> you this. So on the first day, I ended up meeting basically her entire family. Um, and it was a really, really funny first date, to be fair. That's good, um, though, because it gets it out of the way. Yeah, it is. It 100% is. Have you ever seen the film Dinner for Schmucks? Don't think so, no. It's a Steve Carell film. And it's a, it's a comedy where basically they bring the most interesting person to a dinner party. And then okay. whoever brings the most interesting person there. And by interesting, it generally people with disabilities or odd characters essentially um, okay. and it's almost like a show and tell of interesting people uh it's a really really funny film there's some moments in that that are hilarious but that's what the first date felt like it felt like <laughs> emily I, I was emily's interesting person that she brought back to her family um, <laughs> and questions all the way through and like you said it, the good thing is it gets you know it's a good icebreaker it gets all the questions out of the way simultaneously i've got i'm not going to do it for every single one of the members of the family that was great. It was just a bit daunting meeting all of them on the first date. Um, but I kind of sit there like every so often, like, I'd be brushing my teeth and I sit there thinking, imagine if I'd said no. Imagine if yeah. I'd been, no, I'm not coming inside for a drink, you know? Um, and sometimes you just got to make these things happen. And I think that was yeah. it. Like, like I said, if you caught me two months before that, no, absolutely not. I would have been, I'm not going inside. Like, it's, not, it's not worth the hassle. But... <laughs> 
you know, in hindsight, it's the best thing I did. That's incredible. It's it's just, as you say, though, it's just like meeting people in these situations and saying, yes, that little bit more. And yeah. it's like, like um, as you may know, I'm doing the whole IVF and so forth. So I've, I've always wanted to be a parent. And yeah. me and my ex-partner, we was going for the IVF process together, but he was a no-show to the appointment twice. So I thought if he's like this now, what would he be like when the child is being born? And it was always about him and his terms on when he's available. Um, my specific clinic was only doing appointments at, like on a certain day. And he's like, well, that day doesn't work for me. Why can't they do a Wednesday? And he couldn't quite grasp that we do what the hospital say, not what not what you say. It doesn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he just couldn't process it. So in the end, we broke up. And I always said, if I got to 30 and I'm still single, not dating, I'm going to do IVF as a single parent by choice. And I don't think many people thought I would follow it through. Mm-hmm. And my 30th birthday came. Thank you, COVID. It was pretty shit. And <laughs> two days later, on the Monday morning, I phoned up and basically said, I'm ready to do my IVF. Can I carry on the process? And only two months ago, I had my embryo, my eggs fertilized, and now I've got embryos ready to go. But oh. again, I don't think people thought I'd see it through up to the point that I have but as we say you know if you if you want something in life you have to go after it. you have to chase that dream and yep. I've put the education first I've put the work first and don't get me wrong relationships have suffered in the past because working in media it's 24 7 you're working around the country and sometimes you have to cancel because you're being sent somewhere and I can't really say no to the bosses it's your job it's what keeps you over roof over your head and it's 24 7 so people just don't get it so that's why it was always good to date people in the media because they understand it that little bit more probably similar to the fitness industry or people that go they would um relate to it as well but you do have to take these opportunities and just fly with it really and take these chances we live once and we've got to do it Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the dating scene is is a mindful. I can't imagine dating now, to be honest. Horrendous. Especially, especially post-COVID. Like, I, I, I honestly cannot imagine what it's like. I mean, you know, for me, it's, I, I've always been quite personable. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's someone that, you know, I think is is quite attractive or there's someone that I'm, I'm vibing with, or, you know, with like university or college or whatever, it's, it's not even the case of, like, looking for anything. For me, it was just about sparking up a conversation yeah. or just getting the right vibes of someone and then you know one thing leads to the next and before you know it you know thing one thing leads to another um but I've always been really personable like that you know I've always never I've never had the 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 fear of going up to someone and being like Mm -hmm. oh you know would you like to go for a drink sometime or you know I think you're really pretty would you like to go and drink or whatever it is do you know what I mean whereas I feel like now you just can't you can't do that you can't do that at all um, because either people a don't know how to do it or b people don't know how to react when it's done to them mm-hmm. um, because the standard way of 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 actually uh you know meeting someone now seems to be through apps unless you meet someone through an app it doesn't really seem to happen um and i just can't i can't wrap my head around that kind of thinking do you know what i mean yeah it's um, even just like the worst that can happen is the person says no that is ultimately the word the, the, the absolute yeah. worst outcome is no they're not interested okay well there's another so many million people in the world there's another person you knock on enough doors eventually someone's going to let you in essentially yeah. it's just you know valuing yourself not to just let anybody in i think is 100 
Um, and I think that's what some people can do sometimes is they set the set up a second. If some people just want to be in a relationship and we'll just force it, stay with them, they're not happy. But they, they, you, if you want to be number one, you need to be number one yourself. Look after yourself and find the best for you. That's one thing COVID, I think, has taught me in particular is that if you want something from life, you've got to do what you want in life. Um, because, you know, COVID just highlights just how short time is, again, as cliche as it sounds. Um, but, you know, you only get one life, you've got to live it for you at the end of the day. No matter whether that's, you can't always be thinking about, okay, this is best for that person, but mm-hmm. it means that I've got to sacrifice something. You can't be living that way, I don't think. Um, but then also, it's, it's just having that, that value in yourself, not to completely sacrifice everything in yourself just to make the people around you happy um and I, like i said if you're knocking on doors someone will let you in but I, yeah. you, sometimes you can be so lonely you will let anybody in and then before you know it you're in a relationship like you said that you're not happy with and you're staying together and that's that's no way to live a life do you yeah. know what i mean and it's so. just knowing your own worth as well and living up to your values and so forth it's you know i went on a date in january and he got drunk one night and told me that he's currently on probation. So I just asked him, oh, you know, what's he done? And he went, oh, I assaulted a paramedic. But right. just said it like it's like something it you do every day. And I'm kind of like, okay, I don't think your lifestyle is probably really matching up to mine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of like, yeah, see you later, mate. Like, it's, that's the kind of people now that are coming through on apps is people that just think violence, drugs, rock and roll is, is the way forward. And it's, it's difficult, but again, it's knowing your own way of standing your ground and not settling for second. Exactly that. And it's like I said, people just don't seem to know how to, is, I don't know, is, is game the right word? Like, is, do people mm-hmm. still have game? I think that's, that's what seems to be lacking from what I can yeah. see. My brother's seven years younger than me. You know, I'm not saying that he hasn't got game because like he's, he seems to be doing okay. Um, but like I said, he, he's seven years younger. You kind of see the difference between like the way that I would approach people and, you know, dating and things. And the mindset is completely different, mm-hmm. completely different. But then I, like, I also saw something online that showed that there was a 10 year study and it showed that within the 10 years, uh, ages from the age, ages from 18 to males in particular, from 18 to 24 are having 60% less sex in that age group than they wow. were 10 years ago, 10 years ago. So I think that there's, I think it highlights the point that people just don't seem to to know how to approach the situation. Yeah. Um, because everything is less personal. It's all through apps. And, you know, and, and so you might have the odd conversation here and there, but you can't get personality through a text message. No. You can't get personality through, you know, little DMs back and forth and whatnot, um, which is why it's so difficult, you know? For me, for, for me like, the, the amount of graph that you would have to put in through an app just to be able to get to a first date or yeah. a first face-to-face meeting um it, it's just it's hard work yeah and it's, it's people keep the options open they're always chasing better striving for better and yeah. they don't delete them well, oh well i'm talking to my friends the online friends mm-hmm. it's like i was seeing a lad last year for six months and yeah. I, I asked him out to be my boyfriend and he's like why do we have to put a label on it and i'm like well, are we exclusive? Is it just each other? Like, why are you still on the apps? It's like, oh, yeah, well, they're just friends, aren't they? I'm just talking to people. And I was like, mm, I don't really think you should be like that if you're seeing someone. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and like I say, that, that, that's becoming 
more and more common. I think because you've got, in theory, access to a plethora of different people at your fingertips, the temptation at the very least to it almost becomes an addiction. Like I, I imagine that if you're if you're using these apps, it almost becomes an addiction. Addiction to to you know just knowing that you can message anyone here, there, or social social media in general is just giving you the the opportunity and the ability to just message anybody around the world. Yeah. And then who knows where it kind of sparks. Whereas, you know, I think I'm fortunate that I came out of the dating game just as all of that was taking off. Um, no, that's good. Like. Like I say to you, like I honestly don't know how you do it, mate. I really don't like it. The idea <laughs> alone, it's hard work. I'm off speed dating tomorrow, so okay, that that'll be interesting. Um, m- crazy age category, twenty-one to forty. But I'm more of an older person, so I prefer to date older. So I'm in hope most of them are thirty to forty, not like yeah, yeah. twenty-one. Because you're in different life stages. How many twenty-one-year-olds turn up to speed dating? To be fair. Um, last week when I went, that category was 21 to 35, and I'd yep. say girl-wise, there was probably about three out of seven girls which were um, around the 21 age bracket. Most right, of the guys was 28 to 33. Do you think everyone in the room was serious, or do you reckon some of them did it for a laugh? Um, I think some of them did it for a laugh. Um, you can kind of tell with some of those because they outright told me that they've booked a hotel. Right, okay. So I'm kind of, so I just made the jokes, oh, basically. Um, so I'm like, oh, so I was like, oh, sorry, I only want to date people that are local. Because obviously, why do you book a hotel if you live local? And then they go, yeah, oh, yeah. no, I do live local. I live in Manchester. I'm like, oh, so why have you booked a hotel? Do you live with your parents or something, you know, wanting to take the girl back? Yeah, so yeah. I try and make that kind of joke. And they're like, well, you know, just in case I drink too much. I'm just like, yeah, you've got other intentions, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no, nah, you're not for me. <laughs> that definitely sus, that is. <laughs> it's cringy. But as well with like some of your sport as well, um, you know, like you do your wheelchair, but basketball coaching and the and the tennis that like you spoke about before here, that like you've done some like tennis today, is will we ever see you as like one of our Paralympians for, for basketball or tennis? No, I think that ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was like 16 years old, actually no, further back than that. So when I was 13, I played wheelchair basketball for... Um, a, a club that was in Mansfield um, so it was okay. about it was about an hour drive away during rush hour traffic it wasn't the easiest of trips for my dad to make um, I did one season there and then I didn't stick with it okay. um, because I, I just didn't I don't think I got on with the coach for starters um, and then I didn't like the team aspect of basketball um, purely because I found it quite clicky and obviously with me mm-hmm. being the new person in there and being 13 years old, I couldn't quite grasp my head around the clickiness of it all. Yeah. So I did one season there, and then I didn't really do any sport until about 16 when I started playing wheelchair tennis, um, and I fell in love with it immediately um, because for me it was one of those things that, you know, any progress was on me. It's up to me to be able to to excel in it, um, and I was I was pretty good. Um, I think my, my highest world record ranking was like 120 something like that, 119 Impressive. something like that um so I wasn't bad um unfortunately um there's a lot of politics that goes on with anything that involves a medal um because there's obviously money involved with medals and Paralympics that kind of stuff um and I think the Paralympics in general and it's quite an outspoken view and I apologize if I offend anybody when I say this um but because there's medals and money involved 
the disabilities that you find at the top of the game, and again, I don't want to come across as ableist or disabled or anything here, yeah. are a lot less severe than the likes of someone like myself. So you look at me mm-hmm. with spinal cord injury, paralyzed my armpits down, so I've got no conscious muscle control from below my armpits, most notably yeah. my core. So if I'm playing wheelchair tennis against some people that literally walk onto the court and then sit in their chair, they've got full core control for trunk control, it's already not pill battle. And then I think at the okay. time when I reached my, my world record ranking, um, my highest record ranking, when I looked at the top 100, it was, it was you know, limb loss, amputation. It was um, like POTS. There was like all these different kind of like ailments. Like, don't get me wrong, that disability is right, 100%. But I think the category, the, the, the categorizing for these kind of sports aren't fair enough. I think the yeah. playing field isn't fair enough. I mean, using wheelchair tennis as the example, you've got your paraplegics and you've got your quadriplegics, and then there's no in between. So for me, if my spine snapped two vertebrae higher, I'd be a quadriplegic. Um, but you know, anything below that, you just get put straight into the other group. And like I said, there's a, yeah. there's a range of different disabilities. I know it's I know it's really difficult yeah. to fight. But That's yeah. what I found with the basketball is when I trialed out for the Manchester Mavericks is yeah. I went along um, just to train and see how it was. And obviously they ask you about your disability, what you can do, what you can't do. Yeah. Um, what can you move? What can't you move? And you can see them trying to grade where I would be. And yeah, it is a minefield on how, on how they go about it. It's like I'm doing adaptive boxing at the moment. Yeah, and that's not a Paralympian sport as yet. But even still, trying to get that into the Olymp- into the Paralympics, and then look at the categories as well for that would be would it's insane. It's yeah, yeah, it, it's it's really difficult, and I and I get it. But I also feel like you might end up actually encouraging more disabled people to get involved with sport if there were a wider range of categories. So at the moment, I mean, I reached a point in wheelchair tennis where. Um, I probably would have ended up being a, you know, top of the middle card, trying to break through to the next bit. But I wouldn't ever be able to get there because it's an yeah. uphill battle that my body just wouldn't let me kind of plow through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not making an excuse. It's just the sad reality that what I had to kind of yeah. get to. Your body's got limits. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Um, it's much like adaptive boxing. If I ended up yeah. going against adaptive boxing against even you, you know, I might look like I'm a bigger and stronger guy, but if I throw one punch because I've got no core, my balance is going to take me forwards, yeah. at which point the time that it takes me to put my arms on my legs to lift myself back up, you would have hit me in the head three or four times at full pelt, and there's nothing I could yeah. do about Um, And they're the kind of things and the intricacies that I think that the the Paralympics and, and the organisers of that, the, 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 the Paralympic Committee, they need to actually look at and see whether they can actually increase participation by making things fairer across the board. You know, you might end up with something like swimming where they've got like, is it 16, 17 different categories of swimming that I think they have, which, you know, on paper, it it looks ridiculous, but actually it's probably the fairest one of them all. Um, Wheelchair basketball with them doing the classification system and you only allow X amount of points on court at a time, um, I think is is a really good way of doing things um, because Mm -hmm. it gives the opportunity to have you know, you're not just got a full team of people that, you know, might be, you know, missing a limb or, you know, can't walk for X amount of meters, et cetera, et cetera. It actually encourages a, a whole host and range of disabilities on court all the time. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something that that needs addressing and it needs updating and it needs, it needs looking at properly. Um, 
to make it more inclusive and to encourage more people. I mean, I thought it was mental when we had some of the top tier wheelchair tennis players um, saying that they should open up classification for wheelchair tennis to able-bodied people. I thought that was mental because you kind of sit there and you think, okay, it might be okay for you know, some of the top wheelchair tennis players in the world whose wheelchair is insured for £100,000. It might be good for them to play against able-bodied people in wheelchairs. But yeah. for anybody that's then trying to engage in the sport and try to climb through the ranks, they've got no chance, absolutely no chance. Or for those that have got more severe disabilities, they've got no chance of competing with that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you say there about the tennis, because in the adaptive boxing that I go, um, sometimes you might get... Um, is it's in a proper um, boxing place, yeah. we might get semi-pro boxers come in and our yeah. coach will, uh, we may watch them train and they're stood up boxing away and my coach will say to them, um, well, why don't you sit down and have a go? And you can see like a bit of sheer panic in them as well because they're kind of like, because you've got to move your chair forward sideways, your yeah. hands are down here, they're not protecting your face and I could just yeah. go and hit them in the face of they were saying it's it's lot where they're thinking about the footwork they can still keep the hands up but when you're in a chair you've got to move and yeah. they found that difficult to process but it gives them that that understanding as well on that other skill that that we need to take on board um yeah. when, when doing it from an adaptive position yeah yeah absolutely and i think uh, like basketball is similar when you get i mean i always challenge like able-bodied ballers so like when i was running the university team over at trent um we went over to the the men's basketball team and said to them like you know you think your ball is now on your feet try doing it in a chair and then the moment that they realize that actually i can't i can't jump when i take this shot or i can't use any of my legs or the footwork mm-hmm. or anything else but to bounce the ball while moving the wheelchair it does open up a whole different perspective but they love yeah. it they love it every single time so you've um, even got the height as well and that's the bit i struggled with like when i'm stood i can probably yeah. score a hoop but when yeah. i'm sat because i'm like so much lower it's to have more of a power to get up. It's a completely different mindfold. Obviously, you've still got your two taps on the ball for a core correctly and trying to do that, not lose the ball, still push your chair. Yeah, it's like yeah. you could do two wheel spins, two taps, and it's just like, oh, my God, so much to process. Yeah, it's just one bounce to every two touches of the wheel in basketball. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, there's, there's so much going on. And this is the same thing with any, I think, wheelchair sport in particular. Um everything happens in a split second. I mean, tennis in particular or, or badminton, you know, those kind of racket sports. Uh, I mean, badminton is even faster paced than tennis is because the shuttlecock drops drop so quickly. Um, but, you know, all these kind of sports, the, the great thing is, you know, without sounding, you know, I've been quite pessimistic and a bit negative towards, you know, disability sport and yeah. at the competitive level, like how I think, you know, how, how less exclusive the top level is. Um, or how the opportunities to get to the top level is, is, isn't very good. Because I think this is the problem. A lot, of, a lot of different sports, when it comes to disability and all the governing bodies, they do a lot of work to, at grassroots level to get people involved in the sport. They have to, because if they're not getting people constantly involved in the yeah. sport, people are going to age out and then the sport's going to die. And then they give a lot of support to people at the very top of the game. Um, obviously it's a select few but they get a lot of funding and a lot of support a lot of time yeah but then those that are middle of the pack that are trying to break through and try and go they get the odd scraps that are thrown to them um but and i'm not saying that things should be handed out to them i think that people that that Mm -hmm. are at the top deserve to be at the top um but i think there's very few opportunities to dethrone those that have already been decided that they're going to be at the top 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, the good thing is we do do a lot of good work at grassroots level across all sports, but that's badminton, basketball, adaptive boxing is new on the market and it's something that's, you know, coming through. There's obviously a lot of teething problems with it and there's a lot of things that I think there's going to be difficulties getting it into the Paralympics through. Um, yeah, because I agree. Trying to find, I mean, boxing from an able body perspective, you can barely call it a sport as it is because it's it's basically legal assault. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a very tricky one. Exactly that. I mean, I remember when I did sports law at university, uh, boxing and, and the UFC and that kind of thing was, was one of the modules that we did on that. Um, and then when we were looking at, at that from a legal perspective, you kind of sit there and think, yeah, this, this is this is borderline. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. It's a uh, um, it's, it's one of those gray areas, I think. And uh, when you then add disability to it, and you add, you know, the the extra risk of injury, or you know, if there's it, liability. I mean, even where I'm working at the gym now. Um, so one of the things that I, I've, I've been pushing at Pure Gym for a long time is, as we touched on earlier in the podcast, yeah. um, offering myself to be someone who takes charge of, you know, disability education across the company and help to educate the PTs and make sure that all of the facilities are, are properly adaptive and whatnot and offering myself to, you know, take charge of yeah. that. Um, even in, in, in that kind of industry, I remember being told by one of the higher up board members that as noble and the exact quote was as noble and great as that sounds, health and safety legislation will always trump disability legislation. So read into that however you want. Um, yeah. But from a corporate standpoint, that just goes to show the way that disability is viewed. They, they would much rather not, I, I don't know how, I don't, I'm not sure how his head was processing. I'm not sure whether he thought that, you know, if we encourage more people with disability in through our doors, it then leaves us more open to lawsuits in case they get injured on our premises because we're not then kitted out for it. I'm not sure. That's how I interpret it yeah. personally. Um, but it's always interesting because they say they're accessible for all. And are they though? A gym it's, for everyone, right? Yeah. A gym for everyone, yeah. Um, but then paper, they're not truly li- living up to it. Well, this is it. On paper, you might sit there and they, you know, they could argue, you know, we are a gym for all because... It, on their, their DDA guidelines, you know, you they have a disabled access door, they have lift in most of the gyms, not all of the mm-hmm. gyms, even though um, the, you know, the the SEO that contacted me saying that we're doing a piece on accessibility, because um, obviously all of our gyms are accessible. And I'm like, no, they're not. I was like, some of the gyms in London, they're in listed buildings, and there's steps to get actually into the gym. Yeah. And there's no lift, because it's in a listed building, they weren't able to put a lift into it. Um, so that's the first and foremost thing that needs to be addressed. It's like actually let people know uh, what is accessible and what isn't. Yeah, and what's ac- what is accessibility is the other one exactly. we touched upon before. You've got being able to navigate and get entry in onto each floor and go to your toilets. But then what about Braille? So I yeah. could always touch upon the one that I go to at the yeah. moment. If I tried to cycle class the other day, if I was to go in my wheelchair, I can't get in because I can't navigate around all the bikes. I'd have to leave yeah. it at the door and walk in myself and take my crutch where the sports kind of area that I could go around perfectly fine, no problem. But if I wanted hydro water where you have to type in your pin code and then put your flask under, it's at a higher level. So I'd have to be able to stand to, to then type it in to get, to get the water. It's they do it in some ways, but not in every way. Exactly that. Exactly that. And I think this is where if, if they had someone 
like myself in that kind of position yeah. that can you know oversee all of these kind of things and have that input it would make a gym truly for everyone mm-hmm. you know? um, and the other thing as well is they know as a company as a corporate company because we have to say if we need access books we'll get the fob how many of their members have a disability they could even reach out to all of us as members and trainers to, and you know coaches to then create a focus group which is then around the country different lived experiences to then consult us and we can help them is it doesn't only help them it helps us too yeah yeah absolutely i think as long as they acted on the focus group's opinions absolutely yeah. uh, i think from experience from some focus groups or from some companies i'm not saying pure gym in particular um but some some companies that will do a focus group for the sake of doing a focus group to make yeah. it look like they're actually like doing box. exactly that exactly that um and this is what i'm saying like it, it goes back to what we said earlier on the podcast like people either do the bare minimum or they go above and beyond there's yeah. no middle ground and at the moment most places i think as soon as you go corporate i mean even in my time at pure gym from being being there six years before they actually floated on the stock market and became a public company um, the change that has happened within the company within that time. Yes, COVID has happened as well, and it's been very, very difficult for the leisure industry in general. Doesn't mean that the profits haven't been bad, um, yeah. but at the moment that you you kind of turn it into a, a corporate company, the way the company is ran, the demeanor from management and those that are higher up, everything changes. It changes yeah. massively, and they become much less open to these kind of things where disability is an afterthought. It's not something that they want to be making a, a priority, yeah. which I think is insane considering that, you know, they do label themselves as a gym for everyone. Um, and, you know, they have got assets within the company that can actually sit there and help and help change yeah. things and help navigate them through this to actually truly make it a gym for everyone. Mm-hmm. I um, can't find one video on their website, especially when it comes to the gym classes where there's interviews of anyone with a disability or be in the background on any of their videos. Cause I'm trying to watch them to find out, is that something I can do? Or I might not yeah. be able to do it the um, non-disabled way, but okay, could I adapt it? Yeah, and, no. But you've got your articles on there, which is obviously how I came across you but then there's no videos to then accompany it because obviously pure don't want it. So it's kind of like, you've got it if you want to do the other bits. I think there's no, there's no cohesion. And there's yeah. like, I think the problem is that in those that, so for example, the SEO that reached out to me and said, well, we're doing some pieces um, on disability. And then I was looking through obviously their, their contacts. I was one of them um, because generally speaking, anything that came with disability, it was generally me. So if you actually went through the pure yeah. gym, um like official instagram page there was a phase where they were just constantly retweeting me because it's like oh this is a tick box exercise it's a yeah. it's a colored person in a wheelchair we're doing multiple, multiple things here it looks great <laughs> um but then when she reached out to me she was like oh there's there's these pieces that i want to do um is there anything that we can we can kind of do together i'm like yeah absolutely but then like what her vision was compared to what maybe her manager's vision was it wasn't necessarily the same and it didn't add up and then obviously it comes into like budget in terms of like okay you want videos being filmed and that might be something else but it was never even discussed to be fair the videos and everything wasn't even discussed it was more you know very much so just a blog with the written examples on how to do things and again it's the bare minimum isn't it it's oh well let's do a blog and i think this was the difficulty that i found writing the blog in the sense where you don't want to paint any disability with well every disability with the same brush because everything is so individualized and i think when it came to writing those blogs it was really really difficult because i didn't want to assume anything and i didn't want to just say like okay this might be right for this person but it's not going to be right for for this person which i think is why we kind of narrowed it down to wheelchair Mm -hmm. users just because it was the easiest thing yeah. to 
to actually properly adapt and eloquently put into to words, I think, was the biggest thing. Um, because I didn't want to just come across as someone that, you know, just thought that every disability was going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Um because that was the last thing that I wanted that to come No, they to. came across really well. Is I, I enjoyed them. And even if people maybe are able to stand and do fitness, stood up, but live with a disability as well, it's being able to sit down and also do them. And it gives people um, those options as well. But I yeah, think definitely. we need to to give Miss, the, the CEOs of PR um, another email and keep bombarding them and, you know, um, you know, let them know, you know, it's to improve things for them, but not just them, for, for the community as well. If I'm quoting their, their statements of accessible for all and we're for everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, it's got to a point where I'm, I feel like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall because I've approached it from not just a moral standpoint, not just from a, a, a financial standpoint, uh, you know, statistically as well, you know, as a, as a, as a population, we're getting older. We're getting 20% more, more plus. Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, even in the next, 10 years i think we're expected to have another just in our country alone another 250,000 blind people um Mm -hmm. within the next 10 years as it is so you know trying to get ahead of that curve and actually make things more accessible you know little captions bsl on the videos braille on buildings or even those that are you know visually impaired and they still have some sight making sure the lighting is beautiful in there you know or making sure there's a different decent contrast because the same with neurodiversity lights can make a big difference carpets colors 100% 100% or even just having a small area for a quiet area for those that mm-hmm. are struggling you know with autism or those kind of, like, these are all really simple things you know when the studio isn't being used for example or for those that actually have studios that are closed off or or yeah. anything like that use that as a quiet area you know mm-hmm. it's not even changing anything it's just actually it's not actually costing anything it's just it's utilizing the, the facility that's all, all already there exactly. but letting it know and, it's a quiet and time. these are all, all the kind of different things that you know I think could be really well implemented and then ultimately it's the education, it's the education across the PTs so that they're, they're not afraid of, 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 you know, if someone with a disability does approach you, don't get me wrong, some yeah. PTs sit there, they'll, they'll embrace it and they'll be really, really good and they'll be able to use their imagination to, to work with someone and be mm-hmm. able to adapt the sessions accordingly. Uh, whereas other people are going to be like a deer in the headlights and they're not going to have any yeah. clue on in terms of what to do. The bit um, that makes which... me laugh with the classes when they ask you right at the start, um, has anybody got any, it's always injuries it's has anyone got any injuries that i need to know about well and you've got like a five second window well a mine's not an injury and b it's going to take a little bit longer than five seconds at the start of a class to tell you which you've just walked into yeah yeah so in in theory in theory a pt should be you know ready outside the door to welcome everyone in five or ten minutes before the class starts um to be able to ask whether there's any injuries or anything individually so someone can answer up or whatever um, but in reality, if they're doing back-to-back classes, they haven't got that luxury to be able to just go in from one to another. But then they have no say in the timetable. They don't know on no. what it is, but legally they have, to ask, they have to ask that question to make sure that they've, they've ticked all their boxes and they're doing things properly. Um, but it takes away from the experience, you know? In an ideal world, a PT would be able to be in there 10 minutes beforehand yeah. and discuss with anybody whether there is any specific needs that they need. Um, I mean, for me, as I was teaching the class, it was very much so a case of like, okay, I'm going to be... Uh, at the front of the room, if there's any specific injuries or disabilities or something that someone needs to talk about before we start, please come and talk to me at the front beforehand so that I can adapt things accordingly so that you get the mm-hmm. most out of it. That was usually my kind of line or something along those lines to make sure that people um, have the best experience possible um, rather than just a tick box of any injuries. No, okay, let's get started. It's just literally like that. So I, I love my two at mine. You know, I think they're great. They're, they're real decent people. And I have had 
conversation with them because one of them gave me my health and safety tour and we had a chat yeah. there so she's aware and I made it quite clear sometimes depending on the class I might be in my wheelchair and on some I might be doing it from a crutch it it will just depend on on the session and we'll take it from there and they're both cool with it but then when I went to the cycle class the other day it was right anybody got any injuries no no okay great right let's crack on right right change this knob here do a bit of this yeah, yeah, yeah. Where within that, he was like, oh, you, you need a minimum of 140 RPM, minimum of 140 RPM. Well, I've got two braces and blinking foot drop and everything else. There's no way my legs are going to go that quick. Where yeah, yeah. I would have quite liked him to say to me, okay, um, I know you might not be able to get to 140, but maybe 80 could be my adaptation. Or to give yeah. me my own target to push towards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even get to 80, but it gives you kind of an, an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's given me something to work towards where you where they've got the 140. Well, what's mine? Yeah, no, 100%. Otherwise, you're just going as high as possible, and it's kind of like... Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that, like I said, comes down to lack of education. I think lack of exposure and experience in yeah. working with, with disability, you know, a lot of it is, is blissful ignorance at the end of the day. Um, because, you know, you don't tend to see a lot of... I mean, you're seeing more of it now, obviously, but visually disabled people kind of in the gym. I think we're really fortunate with the fact that I've been where I am for six years now yeah. and predominantly working with those with, dis- with disability and injury rehab. We, we get a lot of different disabilities um, in That's our right. gym. So it's, it's kind of the norm and then the staff members that come in that they kind of adapt to it quickly. But it's very much so, you know, an anomaly. It's, it's not what the, the standard experience you're going to get across the entire company. Um, and that's that's a shame because when they have a vessel and they have the facilities and they have, you know, an asset that can be utilised in there, they're just not doing it and whether that's from a financial reason or whether that's from a health and safety reason or whether it's just from archaic thinking i i don't know um yeah. or it might just be that you know back off i don't i don't know what's going on truly at back off everything's on fire and they're trying to douse fires left right and center caused by covid i really don't know um but at the end of the day for me it, it ultimately comes down to the more exposure that you have towards disability for the staff and for yeah. uh, you know disability in general the, the better the experience is going to be for everybody yeah. um and you're also you know adding another skill set to each pt that's in the company mm-hmm. too and so, it's giving uh, them that education as well and helping them out but i'm all in if you need to get a team together all the people together to obviously make the fitness industry and yeah. talk to people about you know what we can offer and you know it's we want to work with them we're not there to work against them it's like images on the website there's not one with a disabled person on a crutch or maybe using a like a cane or in a wheelchair nothing yeah. but they're for everyone but i don't see myself reflected see. where sulfur um, leisure center they actually pinpointed me out and a very elderly person in the gym and they was like can we do a photo shoot with you for our website please and I was on the um, personal trainer session. Yeah. So they wanted the crutch on display, um, so like my back brace and stuff. So then other people then that are watching it can go, oh, there's somebody like me there that's having a personal training session. Yeah. So obviously there were forced images, but it's I'm already in the gym, so I do go. Exposure. But it helps people. Yeah, it's exposure. I mean, if you think about how, you know, they're talking about, let's use superheroes as an example. They're talking about how there's a lack of black superheroes mm-hmm. um, that's shown on screen and that kind of stuff. And you're getting more and more of that kind of showing up now, which is great because it gives, you know, the younger kids say like, Oh, I could be like that person. You don't have that for disability because it's not desirable. It's not cool. It's still taboo, but you still need like people with disabilities still exist. They still need yeah. somebody to be able to go and look at and think like, okay, they're, they're doing it. So 
So why can't I do that? And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, my, my social media, I know that Purgium said to me, like, oh, you know, use your social media, try to build up a following and see whether you can, you know, get some traction through that. And then we will then, you know, I'm not sure why my social media following would impact my ability to, um, you know, train the PTs and, and, and make the, the pure gym more accessible in general. Um, but that's what they wanted me to do. But then it just feels so forced. And I sit there and yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's all good. And, 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 you know, those images are necessary. And I have to have been people that have reached out to me and said, I'm so glad that I've came across this because it showed me ways that I can use exercises that I didn't yeah. think I'd be able to do. Um, or even when I put my traveling pictures up on there, you know, when I was like training in Dubai, it's like, oh, it's amazing to see, you know, someone in a wheelchair living that luxurious lifestyle of, you know, on a beach doing a gym session. It's amazing. Um, and mm-hmm. those kind of images are really powerful. So I know that if I'd seen that when I was younger, I would have been like, well, he's doing it. So why the hell can't I? Yeah. But they, they just don't have that. They don't have that exposure because it's not desirable. And that's the stigma that needs to change. And it's like that social model, medical model of disability where um, a lot of the environments at the moment is people follow the medical model, which is where the problem. Yeah. Where the social model will look at the environment. So you spoke about going to your, your partner's house at the very first point is the problems with the house having the steps. If there was yeah. a ramp, boom, wheel in, absolutely no issue. You're not the problem. Is the same with buildings. If you've got a listed building and you can't have a ramp, the problems with the building, not with you. Yeah. yeah. And trying to get um, everybody to understand that you know we we follow the social model, not the medical. Like we don't need to be fixed. We don't need all that side of things. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that can go down a long way. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. It's, it's, it's definitely switching more to what we need to switch towards the social model, definitely more so. And what's going to be next for you then, Rob? Uh, honest answers, I'm not sure. COVID um, kind of killed all momentum that I had. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went back to work officially last April. Okay. Uh, so I've only been back at work for about a year and I've had to rebuild the client base a lot of the time. Um, and then also navigating you know, COVID waters, it still exists. It's still a thing. It's still a threat. I'm working people with disabilities and vulnerable people. So I need to, to be cautious with all of that. Um, so I think I'm pretty much just back at a point now where the business is good. Um, I'm working good hours. I'm not working silly amounts of times like I was, I think, prior to COVID. I was working part-time for the council. I was doing my PTing over at Pure yeah. Gym. I was coaching basketball and tennis. It was it was a lot of things going on. Whereas now my work... Lots of plates time, spinning. Yeah, exactly that. Whereas my work-life balance is much better now. Um, I think for me, it's trying. To, I'm kind of a Swiss Army knife. Swiss, Swiss Army knife that needs to figure out how I'm best to be utilised. I think is the key thing. Um, whether that's from my legal background or just my ability as a person to adapt to generally any situation that I'm in, um, but then also my expertise in disability and fitness and sport and all that kind of thing. Is is trying to put myself in the right room. I think is the next thing. I just need to figure out what room that is, whether it's with Pure Gym or whether it's with a competitor or whether it's something entirely different. And in an ideal world, if I can start my own gym or something like that, I don't know. Um, That'd be amazing. Know, it would be, it would be, it'd be fantastic. But I think finding the premises and the funds and all that kind of stuff would be amazing. I think, you know, there's in Leicester, there's a place, uh, I think it's called the Matt Hampton Foundation, something like that, where um, they specialise in, uh, obviously injury rehab and disability and that kind of stuff if I could open up something like that for myself mm-hmm. uh, that would ultimately be an, an amazing amazing thing to do uh, I, I but- agree with that that 
we, we need more of those sort of places as well because then you know it can help people out and it will give us that safe space as well to be in because then you'd identify with other people who are in yeah. similar situations to you as well maybe even like with adaptable equipment so if you wanted to do a rower just being able yeah. to pull up your wheelchair and being able to adapt into different things and, and that's it you know it goes back to that, like you said the whole medical versus social model like looking at equipment you know there's there's no reason whatsoever why you know gyms can't have a fixed seat on a rower so that you know people can get out and then get on that fixed seat and then be able to at least do the upper body part of a rower yeah um but they just don't think about that kind of stuff or even a disability bench you know when it comes to bench pressing you can get disabled racks um so that your feet aren't dangling off these narrow benches there's things that are there um and they cost similar amount to what the normal racks are but you know because it's is labelled as disability. People are thinking that they're not going to invest yeah. in it. As I said, it'll be amazing to be able to do it as like a specialised area. But then also the devil advocate in me is that they're thinking, well, I don't want to segregate. I'd rather integrate and have a gym for everybody, yeah. a true gym for everybody. Um, but we'll have to start somewhere. And I think for me, it's don't we need to tackle PR? <laughs> we'll come at them with all angles. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So I think for me, it's just trying to sit there and, and figure out where where I need to be. It's, it's really it's difficult because I sit there and I think. For six years, I've done an amazing job. Sounds a bit arrogant. I've done a good job where I am the last six years. Um, but also, when you limit yourself to a locality, there's only so many disabled people in that area that you can essentially help. Um, mm-hmm. And I've helped a lot. And now it's just figuring out, okay, there are always going to be more disabled people that are going to need help. And yeah. we live in an area where, you know, we get students come in all the time and elderly population. It's a really varied area. Um but everything has its time limit. And I think for me, it's just trying to figure out what next, to be honest, or which room should I be in next. And if any of my listeners and followers want to as well check, check, check you out and the work in which you're doing, um, they can obviously head to www.movmfitness.com. And it's also then the same handle on Instagram, movmfitness. And, you know, you've got a array of resources on there. You know, you've got the videos and so forth on Insta and, you know, drop Rob a message. Um, are you doing online sessions as well at the moment, Rob, due to COVID? Uh, yeah, people so I, need I, I can do online. I think, I think COVID, the biggest challenge that that was, was trying to figure out um, how we can help those with disabilities actually carry on training without the equipment there. Um, because people either don't have the equipment, the space or the, the helping hand they might need there physically. <laughs> Um, and very few of those are in, aren't in place. So, um, so yeah. So I am. Um, I do offer them if they need them. Uh, my social media has been lacking for a while. I apologise for that, but I will pick it back up. And the website is currently in a redesign process as well. But if you go onto my Instagram for sure, send me any messages you have, and I'm more than happily uh, reply to you. Thank you. Well, hopefully we can put the fitness world to rights and start to improve dreams and live up to what their standards should be which is accessible and inclusive for everyone and hopefully we can tackle the fitness industry rob yeah fingers crossed well thank you so much for coming on today today's podcast and hopefully we can get the next generations of um, disabled followers and listeners um joining so the new gyms are for them and not the are people out there and coaches that can assist them when it does come to accessibility absolutely thank you for having me thank you